Welcome to Pixelate Radio on the web at getpixelated.com. That's getpixel8ed.com. Now, here's your host, Craig Shoemaker. You know, it's the beginning to end experience that really matters. Sure, some software is pretty and some performs really well, but a true home run is hit when you find out that you've done it both right. Today we're talking to Marcus Egger and he knows how to do that. He's the president of EPS Software and the man behind Code Magazine. For show notes, please go to getpixelated.com slash shows slash Egger. Well, welcome back to the show. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be here. Just got back from a little bit of a vacation. But you know, I'm always looking forward to, to spending more time with you. When we started the show, one of the things I wanted to do was just talk to people who'd been there since the beginning. You know, the beginning of what? Um, well, the technologies that we're dealing with. And, uh, you know, we've talked to Brad Abrams, kind of built.net, or at least the CLR from the ground up. We've talked a little bit to Scott Guthrie. Hopefully get a chance to do some more of that. Um, you know, kind of built ASP.net from the ground up. But then there's also early adopters and people who've been working with technology uh, since it first came out. Now we're talking to Marcus Egger today. And I remember seeing the New York Times Reader WPF application. And then right after that, the next like real WPF app I saw was an application that Marcus wrote called Zine. And, um, you know, it's a document reader, so it's kind of in the same space as the New York Times reader, but it's totally different. And what I liked was that as I opened it up, he really paid a lot of attention to user experience. As I resized things, um, the content appropriately moved around the screen, and it just made sense of, of how this piece of software was, was interacting with me and, and what I'd expect, and, and maybe not what I expected, but what... I found out worked really well for when I was trying to, to read some of the, the articles and the books that, that came loaded. So naturally, as we started recording interviews, I wanted to uh, get a hold of Marcus and talk about his experience about building Zine in WPF when the technology was really early. So check it out. Here's Marcus Egger. Well, Marcus, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. We're here to talk about Zine, but why don't you kick us off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Hey, well, thank you for having me on. Um, my name is Marcus Egger, as uh, listeners by now probably know from the description. Uh, I'm the president and chief software architect of a company called EPS Software Corp, uh, located in Houston, Texas. Uh, and we do business all over North America, and we also have offices in Europe, so we do that as well. And our main business actually is consulting, custom software development, that sort of stuff on the Microsoft platform, including, of course, Visual Studio, uh, but also server products like SQL Server and so forth. Um, that's the main thing. But uh, a secondary part of our business is Code Magazine. That's what most people know us for. Uh, and of course, that's uh, kind of a, a topic that's dear to my heart uh, as I started that. Um, and then... As part of our work around custom software, we also work with a lot of companies that uh, have specific products that we invest in, where we act almost like a venture capital firm, except we don't provide capital, we, we provide expertise, and then develop uh, products together with uh, our customers and partners. And then, then sometimes we also produce uh, entire products on our own, and one of those products is our Zine digital publishing platform that a lot of code readers uh, already use and uh, use to read code in a digital format. 
So what was going on when you decided to build Zine for the first time? Well, of course, uh, one of my big uh, areas that I like is UI design, interaction design, and so forth. So when Microsoft first started to talk about WPF, or Avalon, as it was called at the time, this was a very exciting uh, topic for me, and I got involved in that very early. Uh, and uh, also became a member of uh, various strategic design review panels at Microsoft surrounding that technology. So we started to play with that, and then immediately, or pretty much right away, it became obvious that WPF was a great platform to create a better reading experience for a number of reasons. Right? And uh, that's when we first started to experiment with a WPF-based reader for our magazine. Now, of course, at this point, Things have grown much beyond that, and Zine is a lot more than just a magazine reader for our own magazine. It's really an open platform. But that's how it all started originally. So people can read Code Magazine, but they can also get into other publications from there? Yeah, that's exactly correct. So right now, Zine is still a fairly new platform. So, of course, we use it internally for our, our Code Magazine business quite a bit. And all our code issues, as well as the special issues that we put out, are available on scene, so the subscribers of the regular Code Magazine uh, publication, they can get their subscription uh, in Zine digitally in addition to the printed version. And then on top of that, we have Code Focus issues, which are special issues focusing on specific technologies, like we just had one focusing on Visual Studio extensibility. We, we are working on one around Windows Live development. And people can just get that for free, both in printed version as well as on Zine as well. So those things we have on scene, but that we're also trying to push that further, and we're working with a number of partners at this point to get their publications into uh, scene. And uh, some of the things that you can expect to see there relatively shortly uh, is even the ability to buy entire books, or, or depending on whether they're for sale or not, just get them for free through the scene uh, uh, online system. So are you capitalizing on the web as services to hit a number of web services to PowerZine? Yes, that's one of the things we're doing. It's really a, a mixture of a number of different things because there is, for one, uh, a general, let's just call it a general store of information that we maintain around all the publications that people have, right? Because one of the big things about Zine is not only can you read your content in a digital format that is very rich, and customizable way beyond of what you'd get, say, out of a PDF format. That's one of the things. But another thing is that we want to manage a reader's entire library. Right? So as an example for that is when you, say, read Code Magazine and you add an annotation to Code Magazine, we want you to be able to go to a different workstation, open your library, pull out that same issue of Code Magazine, and see your annotation there. Right? So this managed approach is a very important aspect of this, which I think makes it really unusual and we manage that through our own services right so it's all service oriented architecture uh, but some of those services reside on our side and then of course we can also integrate with, with services uh, that uh, reside at another publisher's location or even just any web service out there can become part of a published piece of content and one example that I always like to use is if you say published a magazine about skiing and you published uh, an article about a certain ski resort you could actually use a web service as part of that publication to pull in live data about the weather conditions on that mountain, for instance. So when you were building the UI for Zine, what sort of user experience design goals did you have? Uh, very good question. There were a number of different goals we had. For one, fundamentally, we wanted to build a platform 
that's just extremely rich in how it presents the content. And we've been able to do that by means of the document services features that are built into WPF. So that allowed us to create both flow content as well as fixed layout content uh, in a very rich way and with very high quality. So you can open up scene, you can resize uh, the scene window, you can resize the font size to what you uh, like, and then zine remembers that and it adjusts column widths and, and font sizes and all that sort of stuff to uh, your preferred size. And it still has a very professional layout, right? So that was one aspect. Then we wanted to make sure that we have a very rich engine sitting on top of that that can apply smarts to the content that you provide through scene. So for instance, when you read Code Magazine and you see a code snippet, that code snippet is just raw text that we publish as part of the article. But Zine is actually smart enough to say, hey, this is a code snippet. This looks like C Sharp. I'm going to apply syntax coloring to it. All right, so those types of things and you know a lot of other things like 3D and, and all kinds of very advanced content uh, concepts uh, were a fundamental goal of the platform. And I think we achieved that very well. Another goal was to make things very customizable. So the entire Zine UI is entirely driven by WPF resource dictionaries. So it's uh, entirely possible to totally reskin the application to a completely different brand. All right, so those were the, the core goals that we had when we set out to build Zine. So when you started it, well, you started working on it when WPF was still pretty early on. Well, what was it like building on something with such a young platform? <laughs> well, uh, I think the term nightmare comes to mind. <laughs> 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 because really, when we started to build it, uh, first of all, there were no tools whatsoever. And we were lucky enough to get in fairly early on a lot of tools like uh, what was called Sparkle at the time, Expression Blend now. Um, but still, when we started with this whole effort, it was even before that. So everything that we had to do, we had to do by hand. Right? And that's really one of the tough things around WPF, at least at the time, was that everybody always talked about, oh, we'll build these next generation, really highly polished user interfaces. And you'd see a few examples that looked really great, right? And then you'd watch somebody really build something, and it was all by hand with no design tools whatsoever. And it always looks awful, right? Because it's really <laughs> yeah, and that looks good, you know, without design tools. So when we set out to first build it, you know, we had to really wrestle with that aspect a lot. And then the other problem was, of course, that WPF still changed a lot to the point where we had to start over a few of the things uh, on the UI layer. You know, we were good on the middle tier, but the UI layer we had to start over probably two or three times because WPF just changed so much that what we did before was useless at that point. So what were some of the bigger changes that you had to deal with in the UI layer? It was really mainly uh, the objects that were involved. I mean, there were certain UI elements and controls that, you know, as the betas moved along, were replaced or totally incompatible. Uh, or also the animation system changed quite a bit, and we had to redo most of that. And I just got so difficult to handle these huge SAML files that we had to create by hand uh, that it was often really easier to just throw something out, start over, and uh, 
just go that route. I mean, even at the time, you have to also keep in mind that nobody knew how to build a WPF app, right? Like, how what was the best way to organize the different screens? Was it best to have them all in one big file and a kind of a storyboard and then just transition different aspects of the UI into place? Or was it better to start uh, with all separate files? And, uh, you know, we weren't quite sure to what level certain things we wanted to do were possible. So that was also quite challenging at the time, I have to say. Hmm. What did you end up going with? Well, ultimately, we ended up going with a, a few separate files, but not very many. So we have a few relatively complex UI pieces that stand on their own that we navigate in between. Um, but originally, we had actually started out having just a huge file that pulled together different elements that we call storyboard elements, and and that just became unmanageable. Um, and I'm not even sure that it would be unmanageable at this point with things like Blend, but at the time it was very difficult and also started to be a little bit of a performance problem. So I think in the end we, we've, uh, we're very happy with the architecture we now have for it. Now in talking about user experience and dealing with all the web services, what did you do in terms of building the application to make sure that you preserve the user experience just in case something wasn't up or how did you deal with some of those infrastructure issues? Mm -hmm. um, or to spin that story a little further to even enable an offline scenario, which is very important for us as well, right? So the design choice that we made is that Zine basically operates off an offline store most of the time, right? So when you actually look at something that is being streamed down from the web, it actually first gets put on your hard drive and then it stays there and is accessed from that place on the hard drive, unless you specifically choose to keep something online only. But having that offline store First of all, it gives us freedom uh, to stream things in the background and uh, you know, to deal with low bandwidth scenarios or also offline scenarios, which is a very important scenario for us because it's likely that people sit in a plane or in their backyard and have no connectivity and still want to read a book or a magazine. So we have this offline store that is used most of the time. There's a few scenarios where it's not used because some things people may choose to just keep online, right? Let's say you have a a library that has a lot of books in it, well, maybe you only want to bring down the 10 you're currently using or reading and keep all the other stuff on our servers so the, the uh, storage space is only used up on our servers, right? But in most scenarios, most people uh, bring everything down to their local disk and, and have it there. Because realistically, uh, people's libraries at this point aren't terabytes worth of stuff either, right? It's uh, usually a little smaller. Right. <laughs> but, but so we have this offline store, and then in the background, we just have a thread that sits there and synchronizes uh, with your library online, and that's just a WPF service that runs. And depending on the scenarios we have, it's a binary optimized service, or uh, in scenarios where the firewall doesn't allow that sort of access, uh, it's just an HTTP-based service. So do you do any type of predictive fetching or guessing to stream in the background what you think people might want to be looking at? Uh, we do a little bit of that, but most of it is actually we just say, okay, you want to look at your next issue of the magazine, uh, so we'll try to bring down that magazine in the background so it's ready when you, uh, when you want to look at it for the first time. But if you actually go in and uh, say you pick a different issue of the magazine that we may not have brought down, then the algorithm changes a little bit and it then brings down things that... Uh, you're more likely to read earlier. So there's a little bit of predictive, uh, predictive algorithm there, uh, but it's not super sophisticated to tell you the truth. It's just uh, more based on 
you know, hey, you open this magazine, so you're likely to go to the first article. So can you can you read blogs with Zine? Cannot currently read blogs, but that's one of the features that people ask us about quite a bit. Uh, so that is one of the things uh, that we are planning to release in one of the next releases. But yeah, that's that's kind of a big request that we've gotten quite a bit, and it certainly makes sense. So what would you point to as being your favorite feature? I think my favorite feature is uh, the ability to manage your library through this system, right? I'm a guy who owns a ton of books and a ton of magazines, um, and I also travel a lot, right? Be it because of business when I go on consulting gigs or because I uh, spend some time in Europe and uh, most of my time in the U.S., and I just like to have my library handy, right? And I like to be able to walk up to one of my computers uh, in Europe and open up my library and see the things that I had accessed last so I can go back to the same book, the same chapter in the book. Uh, I like to be able to add annotations to it and get to that from wherever I want to be. Right? So I think that is one of the features that most people don't necessarily see it first when they start using Scene because they install it on one system and then just use it there. But once you start spreading out and see this as as this way of organizing everything, I, I really like that. And it's also a feature that I'm starting to really miss on other systems. Like, for instance, I use iTunes a lot, and, you know, I open iTunes back home in Houston, and I have my movies and my music, and then I come to Europe, and I open iTunes on a different machine, and it's totally uh, independent of what I've just done in Houston, right? So I wish that we would have, that the, that, that would work more like scene and would have this managed approach. I think that's a very cool feature. Now, of course, the more obvious features that people always say is cool is things like the 3D aspects and just the rich content rendering. But I think that's pretty obvious as people go into it and, and start messing with it. Those are the things they run into right away. All right, I've got, I've got a classic question for you now. If you were talking to someone who is a strict developer and they were tasked with building a UI and, and a user experience, you know, they're not part of a big team. What kind of hints, what kind of tips would you give them to, to make a better user experience? Well, that is uh, probably the one group that has the hardest time to build a really good user experience, almost by definition, right? When I uh, teach people about UI design, I often talk about two different groups uh, of people that are involved in the UI design process. And one of them I call uh, the apologists and the other I call the survivors, right? And apologists are people uh, that get very excited uh, by very small advances and are willing to to do a lot in order to achieve pretty small advances, right? And then the other group, the survivors, are the people that just want things to work and they have to get by with whatever you give them and they often know that something isn't as easy or as good as it should be, but there's little they can do about it, right? And by that, software developers uh, are apologists, right? Because if if you're willing to sit down for hours and hours and hours just to make a little something appear on the screen, by definition, you have to fall in the group of apologists. Um, but apologists overlook the fact how difficult it is to use certain things, right? To them, being able to do something is the more important part. How easy it is is usually not that important. And therefore, apologists, which includes myself as well, and you probably too, right, since you're a software developer, therefore have a hard time to really even imagine how difficult it is for people to use, use things or, or how they would want how they would want to use them. So 
you know, what is the easiest way to build a good user interface? I think to me, it's always been understanding that I'm different and that my idea of a good UI most likely isn't the idea of a good UI for the user that I'm building it for, unless that user happens to be another developer, right? So understanding that the user has a certain model in mind of how something is supposed to work or flow. And if you can understand that model and you can find out what the user sees that model, uh, you know, what the, the user sees as the correct model, if you can figure that out and then just build that regardless of whether you think you can build something that's a lot more efficient. I mean, you may want to bring that up, but you know, if the user doesn't get it right away, then the model they have is probably very different. And you, so you want to stick with their model because regardless of everything else, that is what they perceive as correct. And that has served me very well in building uh, interfaces that users really like to use. Good advice. Well, sir, that's a show. Thank you so much for coming in and joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. Smart people doing cool things with technology. Hey, make sure to check out the show notes over at getpixelated.com. That's getpixel8ed.com slash shows slash egger. And there I'll have links to Zine and and a lot of the other stuff we've talked about. So make sure to check it out. If you have any email, please send it to show at getpixelated.com. I'd love to hear from you. Comment on the blog, uh, you know, whatever. So until next time, hey, go build a great user experience. Pixelate Radio on the web at getpixelated.com. That's getpixel8ed.com. All rights reserved, copyright 2008. Infragistics, powering the presentation layer. Infragistics.com.